0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today in our continuing study of the book of Acts, we come to chapter 3, verse 1. Once again, as you get your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1. Power is one of the most sought-after prizes in life. But when people get it, often the results are not positive. Because power has a tendency to corrupt both the people who have it and the people who feel its effects. Often people use power to abuse, belittle, subdue, conquer, and even destroy others. So power has a decidedly negative side. But it can also have a positive impact. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, "But you shall receive power, the word is dunamis, is dynamite. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." And on the day of Pentecost, that power from heaven came down. They received the promise of the Father, that is the promise of the Holy Spirit, and they were endued with power from on high. But power for what? Did they receive the power of God simply so that they could feel good about themselves, so that they could sort of feel tingly all over? I mean, did they receive the power of God just for themselves? No, they received the power of God to enable them to be witnesses in their society. You see, the power of Pentecost was for people, to enable the disciples to reach out and to touch human need and to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see happening as we come to the beginning of chapter 3. We see the power of God healing a lame man. We see people who have been touched by the power of God, filled with the power of God, reaching out and touching others. Now, last time, at the end of chapter 2, we saw the kinds of things that were happening to this church that so diligently and steadfastly held on to the basics of a balanced Christian walk. In verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, one of the characteristics of this church We see at the end of verse 43, it says, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, there isn't any record of all of the wonders and signs that were done in that opening period, but we have this one, the story of the lame man who was healed at the gate beautiful, the gate at the temple. You see, evidently, Luke selected just one of the many numbers of miracles and signs and wonders in order that it might teach us some things very significant. So we need to give it careful attention. First of all, this passage sheds light on how we are to respond, how we are to reach out to hurting people. During World War II, a little church in Strasbourg, France, was bombed by the Germans. And when the war concluded, the people in the community cleared away all of the rubble, and they found a statue of Jesus. And on the base of this statue were inscribed these words, Come unto me all ye who are weary. It was remarkably preserved except for both hands, which had both been destroyed. Hearing of this, the sculptor, whose work it was, immediately offered to replace the hands. But the pastor wisely declined. And so it was that the statue was returned to its original position in front of the church. But it had a new inscription. He has no hands on earth but ours for we are his body. That's true. Jesus has no feet but our feet. Jesus has no hands but our hands. Jesus has no voice but our voice. We are the body of Christ. And if Jesus is going to reach out and touch someone, it will be through our hands. He will use us, just as he used Peter and John. We see that in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. What an unlikely pair, Peter and John. Normally it was Peter and Andrew and James and John. That's how they were usually paired in the Gospels. Peter and John were so different naturally, but Christ had brought them together. They had contrasting personalities. Peter was always the doer, as you know. He would do something, wouldn't even think about it. He would just jump in and do it. On the other hand, John was sort of a dreamer, just he would contemplate and he he would sort of stand back. And you can imagine that Peter was often irritated with John because John was a dreamer. And it could very well be that John in turn was very well irritated with all of the doings of Peter, activity all the time, contrasting personalities yet made one in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the way it always goes. Christ is the common meeting ground for all men. And though we may have contrasting personalities, still there is that beautiful unity in Jesus Christ. And so we see them going up to the temple at the hour of prayer together. Now we're gonna see them doing a lot of things together as we go through the book of Acts. And the pattern that we will see in the book of Acts for ministry, it will be done for the most part in teams. Peter and John are a team. Paul and Barnabas are a team. Paul and Silas are a team. Most of the miracles that you're going to see are done as a team. Yes, God will use one person in particular, but rarely will you see a lone ranger out there trying to change the world by himself. You see, God uses togetherness. God uses koinonia, fellowship that we talked about last time. Peter and John's friendship had turned into fellowship and now God was using them as a team together as Christ's messengers. So Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now the ninth hour in Jewish standard time is 3 p.m. Now why do you think they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer? It was to pray. Like all devout Jews, every day at 9 a.m., at noon and at 3 p.m. Peter and John stopped what they were doing and they headed for the temple where they spent an hour in prayer which consisted basically of 15 minutes of silent meditation, 30 minutes of petition, and then 15 minutes of adoration. And that's a good pattern for prayer. Meditate on the greatness and the goodness of God and then you will be confident in bringing your requests to him. And when you realize that even your biggest concerns are no problem with him, then your heart will just overflow in adoration and in worship. And just as a footnote, 3 o'clock in the afternoon also had special significance for Peter and John and the other Christians because it was at that very hour on which Jesus had died on the cross, the hour when he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. John nineteen thirty. Now, the very fact that Peter and John were going to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer indicates that they were men of prayer. I mean, imagine having three specific times for prayer each day, not just praying while on the run, not just always praying while we go about our daily things, which is what we so often claim and use to salve our consciences, but imagine actually having three set periods, three consecrated times, three prayer sessions where we can shut out all of the rest of the world and focus solely upon God. Such was the prayer life of Peter and John, and such was the reason Jesus was able to work through them and in them in such a powerful way. Now it is interesting that Peter and John were still going to the temple to pray. Evidently, they still gathered in the temple court where Jesus had customarily taught and that's where they went for prayer It could be that that's where they went to study the word together the apostles doctrine That's where they went for fellowship and for the breaking of bread So they had not yet forsaken the temple Later on when the book of Hebrews is written we find that these early Christians are exhorted to leave the temple because the temple was no longer the significant meeting place of God with man. The temple is just a building. And already these Christians were learning that God had designed a real temple. You see, the temple of stone was but a symbol of the real temple where God intends to meet man. The real temple is the human body. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, You are the temple of of the living God, and God wants to meet you on the inside of you, where you live, down in the deepest part. Well, later on, these Christians had to leave the temple, but there was no immediate break. You see, God is always patient and understanding with his people, and he knows that we need to learn some things slowly. So John, Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, verse two, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now what we see here is a human tragedy. This man was not only crippled, but he was crippled from his birth. I mean, just think of the tragedy of that. He had never been able to stand, He had never been able to walk. He had never been able to run and play with the other boys. He had never been able to date. I mean, his parents had to carry him everywhere. And I'm sure that many opportunities passed him by because of his affliction. But now he's a grown man, and every day his friends carry him to the temple so that he may beg for a living. A tragic situation. And we can only imagine what kind of an effect that might have had on his heart. I mean, he could have easily been very bitter at this point because there had never been a day in his life when he had not been a burden to somebody. He couldn't walk, he couldn't work. All he could do was beg, just sit there and hope that somebody would have pity upon him. So he sat and begged at what is called the gate beautiful. And from historical accounts, it was impressive. It was beautiful. Much of it was made from Corinthian bronze. It was inlaid with ornately decorated gold. And as the sun would shine upon it, its glistening brightness could be seen for miles. In fact, they said that you could not look at it. There was so much gold and bronze when the sun was shining on it, you couldn't look upon it. But they said it was just an unbelievable, beautiful place. And yet for all of this, this lame man was no better. He lay helpless and poor and impotent needing the hand of God. You see, this is a type of humanity today. Despite our beautiful and wonderful situation, that is, we're surrounded by all of the beauty that God has created. We are still impotent beggars, needing the ability and the power of the Lord. However we are placed, however magnificently we may be surrounded, we are still as impotent and lost as ever. What this man needed, indeed, what all people need, is a heavenly touch from God. He needed the power of Pentecost made available to him. But how was he going to get it? I mean, every day he came to the temple, but he couldn't come into the temple. He was outside the temple. Every day he just sat and begged. You see, he wasn't in that group at Pentecost. He didn't even know what was going on. He lived his life outside of the mainstream, and so he was oblivious to the good news of God. And so verse 2 says that a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Now, the word alms literally translated means mercy, but it really meant money, but it was mercy, and this was how the Jews used to take care of the poor and the disabled, begging for money. There was no welfare system in Israel. I mean, they had it a lot harder than we have it today. If you were poor, if you were lame, you were cast out and cast off. And the families sometimes would actually cast out their lame members, and sometimes these lame people didn't have any families, and so all they could do was beg. So they were beggars. And the temple was probably one of the better places to ask for handouts, especially as you read in Matthew chapter 6 and 1 through 4, it talks about how these pious, quote-unquote, religious people would give to other people if they were sure somebody else was watching them do it. So this was a good place to go for a handout. You see, this lame man simply wanted to be supported in the condition that he was in. That's all he wanted. He just wanted money, and to be supported in the position that he was in. But God wanted to completely change his condition, as we will see. Verse four, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Now, why did Peter stare at this man? All we can do is speculate, but something caught Peter and John's attention. You see, God uses people with eyes to see. Here's this man that doubtless Peter and John have seen many times before. After all, he's been there daily for years, and they're not particularly new to the temple worship themselves. And so maybe they have seen him before when they were with Jesus, when they would go into the temple. And Jesus must certainly have seen him as he passed into the temple, but he never healed him. Now, if this man was then 40 years old, more than 40 years old, that's what it tells us in chapter 4, and he had been crippled since his birth and a familiar sight at the temple gate, then Jesus must have passed by him many times without healing him. Why? Well, it's because God's timing is just as important as his will, and it was for the greater glory of God that Jesus healed this man from heaven through his apostles. So no doubt they've seen him many times. But they somehow they've never really seen him like this. It's not that they were going into the temple and then they said to themselves, you know, we've been baptized with the Spirit. You know, here's this lame guy. Maybe we ought to try to heal him. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was just that there's something different about this guy. You see, sometimes God seems to, quote, unquote, point people out to you. You've seen them before, you've passed by them many times before, but now you know that God wants you to do something. God wants you to help them. God wants you to minister to them. God wants you to talk to them. You see, God wants you, when that happens, God wants you to seize the moment. Peter seized the moment of the miraculous and the Lord used him. Seize the moment. In the tiny compartment of a passenger train, sat a lieutenant in uniform. Next to him sat his commanding officer. He was a crusty old general. Across from him sat a beautiful young lady. Next to her was her grandmother. And as the hours passed, an attraction really developed between this young man and this young lady. And they were laughing and they were talking and they were having a wonderful time when suddenly the train went through a dark, long, dark tunnel. Midway through the darkness, The sound of a kiss was followed by the smack of a slap. As the train emerged from the tunnel, the four travelers looked at each other with a variety of expressions. The young lady was delighted that the lieutenant would kiss her at that moment, but was puzzled as to why her grandmother would slap him. The grandmother was angry that the lieutenant had the audacity to kiss her granddaughter, but grateful to the general who slapped the young man into line. The general was proud of his lieutenant for kissing the young lady, but confused and smarting from the slap from the young girl. The lieutenant was hardly able to contain the laughter within him, as he alone knew what actually transpired in the tunnel. Under the cover of darkness, He had seized the moment to kiss the girl and smack the general. (laughs) Seize the moment. Watch for the moment of the miraculous when the Lord will use you in this dark tunnel of time to slap the enemy in the face as you reach out. To a hurting world. That's what Peter did. He seized the moment. And isn't it interesting that even though God had just used Peter to lead 3,000 people to the Lord, he still has time and he has compassion to stop and to help out a hopeless lame man. Do you walk around with your eyes open? Are you looking for that person that God wants you to touch, God wants you to reach out to? And fixing his eyes on him, With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now, what the man wanted was money, but that's not what he needed. What he needed was healing. He wanted to fill his cup, but God wanted to fill his heart. He wanted a handout, but he was about to receive a hand up. Now, this lame man was correct in expecting to receive something from them, Because Peter said, look at us. And so he was right in expecting something from them, but he received much more than the monetary donation that he would have been completely satisfied with. And many of us haven't even come to this place where we really expect something from God. You see, this man had an expectation even if he was expecting the wrong thing. And we should always be expecting the right thing from God. We are so often ready to settle for so much less than God wants to give us. Our low expectations rob us. Then Peter said, verse 6, silver and gold I do not have. Now, those are the words that many of you often say to your children. When they ask for something, you often conveniently leave any cash you have home because you know that they're going to ask you to buy something for them. And so you say, hey, I don't have any money with me today. Silver and gold, have I none? That's biblical. You can use that. That's right here. That's biblical. (laughs) Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. You know, that is a far cry from the name it and claim it, prosperity, seed faith mentality of today in so many churches. Silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. Peter could not give him silver or gold because he didn't have any. He could only give what he had, and so it is with us. If we do not possess a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ, we will never be able to impart a heavenly touch to somebody else. You can only give what you have. Oh, how important it is that we take care to develop our own spiritual life so that we can impart spiritual life to others. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's an interesting story of Thomas Aquinas in the year 1260 AD when he visited Pope Innocent II. And the Pope showed him all the vast treasuries of the Vatican, unbelievable wealth at the Vatican, all of the gold and the silver. The Pope said, Thomas, look. He said, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none. That is true, your holiness, Aquinas said. But then neither can it now say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, throughout history, Whenever the church has traded purity for prosperity, she has lost her power. The apostles didn't have silver or gold, but they had the power. They had the power of God. And what we need are not possessions, but power. The power of the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives with the presence of the living God. Power to reach out and to lift them up and to give them hope and healing and friendship. And fellowship. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, as Peter grabbed the lame man by the hand, saying, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, I wonder if that moment he thought, what if nothing happens here? Here I am, the leader of the church. What if I say, in the name of Jesus, walk, and he falls down? No, that really wasn't what Peter was thinking. Because Peter knew. Because God had given him that. You see, this wasn't something that Peter did on a whim. This wasn't something he did as a promotional event. He did it under the specific prompting of the Holy Spirit. God gave Peter the supernatural ability to trust him for something completely out of the ordinary. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now to call upon the name of someone means to call upon the authority, the power, the office, the nature, the character of that person. The person's name stands for all that person is. A king may send a decree throughout his kingdom, and the decree goes out under his name, you see, under his authority. When Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, He was proclaiming, it is the name, the power, the authority, the person of Jesus Christ who will heal you. He was also saying that Jesus Christ is alive. You see, his power, his authority, his name, his person is still active in the earth. It is the name and the power of Jesus that meets the need. It's not Peter, nor is it silver or gold. Verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, notice that this guy didn't have a lot of faith to be healed. And yet there are some people today, some churches, that have the audacity to say that anybody can be healed if they have enough faith, quantitatively enough faith and qualitatively the right kind of faith. They say that if you don't have that kind of faith, that you're listening to the devil and you're being robbed by Satan. They say that God always wants you to be always healed. And if you have faith enough, you will be healed. That is false doctrine. And this blows all of that out of the water anyway, because he had no faith to be healed. He had faith only for a handout. Whose faith was it? It wasn't his. It was Peter's who lifted him up. Peter had faith. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he didn't just say that and then walk away. I mean, you know, it's easy to pray for somebody who's sick. I mean, there's no problem in doing that. That's easy to do. But to lift somebody out of a wheelchair and say, come on right now, let's walk, that takes faith. Peter lifted him up and he was healed. Now, this is the first miracle Of the apostles. And it is an actual continuity of the work of Jesus Christ, in this case through the Holy Spirit, through Peter and John. On the one hand, it is continuous, it is a continuity of what was started in the Gospels, but it is also a commencement. It's the beginning, the first miracle of the period that we call the church from Pentecost on. Verse 8. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, the Greek here, in the description of his feet and ankle bones, and the word leaping up are medical terms. They are used only here in all of the scripture by Luke, the author, and of course he was a physician. But he's actually describing a condition of an ankle that was twisted completely out of joint. That the ankle bones never came together, never in joint because the word indicates coming into its socket and being straight. The medical term itself is this, being brought back into its socket and straightened. And so here's this man lying here with his crippled condition, unable to walk from birth because of this problem with an underdeveloped, deformed ankle bone, and yet Peter With that faith that the Lord had planted in his heart, took hold of the man, he lifted him up to his feet, and immediately the ankle came into joint, and the man began to leap and to praise God. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.